Ahoy, hoy, Noiros! You hear this, Dan? Oh, cracking open November, a new month. That's what it is. Also, it's a Red Bull. The way the can looked for a second, I thought it was a V8, and I got really excited. You got excited that I was drinking that. Just because of how ridiculous it would be that at this hour of the day that you're drinking a V8 stand. Any alone. hour of the day. I just That's I'm, true. I know yeah. I'm not a V8 person. I learned that very early on. It's I'd very salty. Those, yeah, I just would rather eat those vegetables than drink them. Yeah. I, I remember my dad used to drink them a lot as a kid, and, and I would, like, try them. Yeah. Because I was, and I was, like, just because I was curious about them, and I was, like, Of course, how could you not be? Why is it so salty? And I thick. Just, I, it's I so this, thick. Yeah, it's just it was not good. Um, I think just when it had come out, it was like a big thing. Like, cause yes. I feel like you never hear much about V8 anymore. I don't even see ads. That and Zima. Zima made a bit of a comeback, but I think it's it's it finished bit, it. Yeah. yeah. I think it, it got the nostalgia train going. Zima at least could get you drunk. Like <laughs> that's true. I mean, healthy can only be so terrible to drink. You need a little bit of flavor, in my opinion. I wonder if anybody tried alcohol with V8. See how that worked. <laughs> So like a, bl- a bloody mary that. or something yeah that's probably that. a mix i would imagine yeah eight vegetables dan <laughs> i mean i probably like all the vegetables in it i don't even remember all the ones that are in it but well th- i think there was good ones and then there'd be like fucking beets in there or just something to really just tank it yeah i mean i, I don't have a problem with beets but as a drink i'm not I know you don't have a problem with beets, Dan. Some people live their life in a way that don't have problems with beets, and I, I feel like that's you. Yeah, I feel like well, I'm okay with most vegetables. I don't, I don't really. I'm have not many saying many that issues. is a bad thing. Yeah, you, just, you know, you just accept all vegetables, whereas I am uh, a hateful. What's the racist version of vegetables? <laughs> I don't even know what that would be. <laughs> um, I, I, I think they're definitely vegetables i'm not like a fan of but i don't necessarily hate them see you're on board with vegetable racism too dan no i'm not it's 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 more or less like is it because we're using racism because i agree with that part doesn't feel good but yeah is there an ism that involves hating vegetables i don't know well that's something to send in folks the real out of the podcast at gmail.com i don't think we want that (laughs) get that plug out of the way why i mean as long as i think we edit this part out (laughs) i don't want any part of this (laughs) That's what happens when you bring up V8. It's a very touchy, dangerous subject. So that's why I didn't think it would stay be. away from it. Dan, I feel like you need to introduce your sniffle at this point because yeah, I have a sniffle. It's quite prominent. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try to um, I'll try to keep the sniffs to a minimum. You remind me of uh, Jerry Seinfeld's accountant, right? Wasn't that who it was? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They think he has a coke problem. I can assure you that that if is I, I was going to say if I didn't know better. <laughs> I think someone just took a toot. Nope. The only toots come out of your rear end, right? That is true. Okay. Yes. Confirmed he farts. There's that. I don't know where we're going with this one today. Yeah, but... this is a weird hey, episode. Dan, sometimes you got to take a side street, right? There you go. That's the segue. That's why we're here. <laughs> we took a lot of side streets there. Look, it's November, November to some, you know, if you're nasty. And uh, we just got through Halloween, which was an undertaking to say the least. But a good one. Well, sure. All undertakings don't have to be bad, but it'd be, you know, we we put in the work. And if you stay tuned at the end of this episode, you'll hear that we've made more work for ourselves. So get excited for that. But we're talking today about Side Street, of course. We earlier hyped it. This sucker was released December 14th, 1949. Yeah, everyone keeps saying this is a 1950 movie. I'm quite confused by that, but it's from MGM, Dan. 
It is. The lion is it, back. It's so late in the year. I guess they were just like, oh, no, no, I don't. Days. I don't think that deserves rounding up. Come on, dude. Someone I mean, fucked I, up. I mean, yes, I agree. I thought I, it was going to be like a premiere date, and then maybe there was like yeah. a, a wider release. But I found no such information in the world. What do you expect from Anthony Mann, director of a controversial movie of the podcast, Dan? Yes. The Naked Spur. The Western noir that we didn't really feel turned out to be much of a Western and was a... I, bit... I like Anthony Mann a lot. So, I mean, that one, not so great. But, I mean, overall, I am a fan of Anthony Mann. We did it right before they announced a Blu-ray edition of it. That will forever be the sting of the show. Yes. Uh, so that one hurt. Is there a Blu-ray for this one? I don't believe so, right? There is not. Is this where you want to get into your DVD tale, Dan? I don't even want to talk about it. All right. It, it how was, about, it was, how about uh, you tell us exactly in the story when we're going through the plot summary when it okay. happened to you? Okay. Because I was shocked how deep you made it once I'll, you just I'll, told me earlier. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you at the moment when it happens. I appreciate that. I think we yeah. all would have a little fun today. You know, we're usually such a, a dour podcast, so. That's true. We're bringing the smiles today. Who else is bringing the smiles? Well, that's Sydney Boehm from The Big Heat doing story and screenplay. That was a fucking weird credit. Why not just say <laughs> everything screenplay by written it? by? Yeah. yeah, written by. Exactly. Like that. That's strange. But hey, that's all right. Uh, Dan, you ready for some taglines on this bad boy? I am definitely ready. You just sound like you did a nice line of taglines. So I'm excited. A tagline. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to mute when i do my my uh sniffles like i said if we time them right i could edit them out uh that will also be my last cocaine reference it's just very tempting thank it's, you it's I, a I, real sniffle <laughs> it's it's a lot of mucus <laughs> i've not heard one of these in, in quite some time i haven't been sick in a long time not really since i've known you no oh, i mean no. i'm i'm usually pretty uh uh-oh we're 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 going to the dinner menu over at, at Joey's place right now. The light the lights dim down. My lights are on a timer, and I thought I fixed this, and I just learned that I did not. Jeopardy just ended, Dan. Are you watching it? Well, no, but I have my lights turned blue at seven. Oh, uh, but I changed. Did I interrupt it. you from that? It's recording. Okay, good. It's the I tournament of bad. champions right now, so I'm psyched to be watching later on. That's why I feel bad. Yeah, that's you all you told me. Well. We're recording. It's okay. We're never okay. going to get the show done if we bow down to the rules of Jeopardy. Taglines, Dan. I got them. You want them? I'm ready. I'm ready for them. We got two of these bad boys. I'm surprised there really just wasn't one. So that's that was a pleasant surprise. Where temptation lurks. Okay. It does lurk. There's some temptation. We'll get into it. Yeah. Uh, this one's a little more specific. Fate dropped $30,000 in his lap. Figuratively, yes. Yeah, he kind of dropped it into his own lap. Yeah. If you're calling Farley Granger's axe fate. Yeah. Originally, he thought it was $200. I mean, we'll get into it, but he, he didn't know. Well, it he that did much. too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, You hadn't seen this one before, correct? I had not. No. I couldn't remember if I did. And then as I was watching it, I did remember. Oh, okay. Because you don't forget one like this, at least plot wise. You might forget what it's called, but. This one uh, was fascinating. I, had, I think that's I had, a, a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I was fascinated by this one. Yeah, how could you not be? We're, we're getting into November in style. Let, let's get into this bad boy. New York City, Dan. We have a narrator. Everybody loves those. 
It's Captain Walter Anderson, played by Paul Kelly. He loves statistics. Veteran. Yeah, veteran. Veteran of the film noir, yeah. Always good to be here. I mean, there's a there's a couple at different times of their career. Yeah. Some some debuts, some fresh faces, and, and some old friends. But yeah, Captain Walter Anderson, he loves statistics, as everybody does. And he has a story to tell us all today. So sit down, Noiros, and let the lads paint a picture. Someone leaves a large deposit at an attorney's office. It's $30,000, as we'll find out, uh, the tagline had told us. And we also meet Joe Farley Granger, who you may remember from They Live by Night, right? Yep. Both, both of, leads. Both exactly. Leads. Yep. And there's some fun facts involving that that Dan's going to get us to later on, I'm sure. Or not. I don't know. We'll find out. He doesn't want to say that's how secret it is. So he is a struggling postal worker, and he also has a pregnant wife at home. And he would love to take her to Europe. He's dreaming of just giving her a better life if he could. And, you know, you're getting all this voiceover about births and deaths and crimes. And like I said, statistics. And then they're like, here's one such story. You know, they've, they've done this movie a million times. <laughs> it's, it's a the familiar procedural. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the sign of the times. And they very much like always just did it like this. Like it, it, it didn't really break away from that, you know, New York stories and they throw a lot of statistics at you real quick so like you can't even like it's a rough fucking start yeah yeah it's 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 tough because like they just like throw it all at you and then it starts you're like like what were those numbers again like what like what does that have to do like it's gonna be on the test yeah it was very very weird i mean but again that's you know kind of par for the course with a lot of these this one in particular um yeah the opening shot though was it was filmed from a blimp in new york city so that's pretty cool it looked very nice. You just had to ignore the voiceover. But yeah, you get old Joe. Uh, he's a sweaty fella <laughs> throughout this movie. And he goes to deliver mail as he does to the attorney's office that we saw earlier. The lawyer's name is Victor Backett. Backett excuse me. And when he gives over their mail, some stacks of cash fall to the ground. And Joe gets pretty psyched about that. Temptation lurked, Dan. And again, it was only $200 that he saw. He saw two bills fall on the floor. And like the one, like, I guess you can call him a henchman was like, basically like, you didn't see anything like get out, you know, like (laughs) that's that sort of thing. Georgie, I believe. Right. Yeah. You never, you never saw that. But we all saw it. We have eyes. Yep. And the whole deal with that money, though, it's blackmail money from this guy, Emil Morrison. He's like an older fellow who is being set up with Backett and Georgie, Georgie Carcel. And also, they have a woman involved. Her name is Lucille Lucky Colner. Yep. Who is played by Adele Jurgens. She's very brief in the movie, but she has uh, some nice lines and some good moments. Yeah. They're very good about leading on these women and then afterwards being like, hey, let's fucking kill him. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, we're going on vacation, baby, like to the, up the river, you know? One of the things I I definitely appreciate about this movie is the brutality. Like there's like, it's like when there's like scenes of brutality, there's scenes of brutality. It goes there. It it goes there and it's, it's pretty graphic, which is cool. It's interesting. No, I would say all the best things I have to say about the movie are because of the violence. Yeah. I mean, and it's a, it's another quick one. It's, you know, like hour 20 something, but hour 22. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good time. But yeah, it, it, it goes there and, you know, they're they're slitting throats and strangling people. And, and Lucille Lucky, you know, she she ends up dead in the East River because these guys, they want no loose ends and they don't want anyone talking. 
And that puts our narrator, Walter, Captain Walter Anderson, on this case. He's going to be working a couple cases, as you'll see. But Joe comes back to the office. He sees that it's empty. And he's like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the money. But the drawer to this cabinet is locked that he saw that the money was in. And he's like, okay, that's a sign not to do this. So he leaves. But on his way out, an axe catches his eye as it does. And he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. He smashes it open, grabs a, a file, like one of those, uh, what do you call those? Accordion. Accordion. Accordion thank yeah. you. Yeah. And uh, he's like, yeah, this will do. And he just runs off. He's already super nervous and not feeling good about this thing. And it goes up on a roof to see what he has, hoping that he got just, yeah, that 200 bucks that he was thinking about. But what actually he has is a lot of money, $30,000, like we said. And yeah, he's really sweating it up and nervous. I mean, you could feel the moisture through the screen, Dan. He's a wet one. He is sweating the entire movie. (laughs) I don't know if that was like really a conscious thing. I'm assuming it was, but like he has a lot of sweat. A lot of sweat to the point where it really needs to be pointed out because there's a lot of glistening coming from Farley Granger. He's trying to come up with some sort of wet pun with his name, but I got nothing. Fairly sweaty Granger. (laughs) (laughs) Fairly Granger. He's drenched and uh, he's like, oh, my God, I'm going to get caught. So he pockets the money and he leaves and heads back to his place, which is not his place, really. It's actually his wife Ellen's parents place that they're staying at. So that just to really show you how struggling they are. Uh, She's actually out at the moment. So he goes into their room, locks the door and here is some more of that sweat and freaking out. He wraps up the money nice and tight and goes and grabs a gun. Ellen comes back. Here is Kathy O'Donnell. I think I like her in the other movie better personally, but in she really one, a lot to it, do. And they live by night. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's really true of both of them, but her in particular. Like, I feel like she she's Most a cool the, wife, but she doesn't really get much to do with this. Yeah, uh, she always. A lot of times, she plays more of like an innocent type of character. I mean, she's definitely that in this movie. I mean, I think about her and I mean, we just did Amazing Mr. X, too. Remember, she right, was in right. that. Yeah, I, I liked her in this. I, I think she doesn't have a lot, but they need a, a like, I guess you would consider it like a foil, like a reason for why he's doing these things. Like he, he wants to better not only his life, but mostly for her life, like because they're having a baby. And, you know, he wants to make sure that she like gets all the things she wants. They live comfortably and kind of live happily ever after and then get out of her parents' house. Yeah, I mean, that's always number one. You got to get out of your parents' house. Yeah. But yeah, I just think the other women in this movie, maybe they just have more exciting parts written for them. But it just, she just, among that, doesn't stand out. But yeah, she's fine. I mean, yes, it's like you were saying, she's a very good, innocent wife to come back to. She's, she's a, she's a rock, if you will. She comes back and he's like, hey, I just saw my old friend, Ben. And I just got this cushy job in Schenectady. Everybody loves Schenectady, full of big money there. It's where the dreams are made. Yep, that's where it all uh, happens. And he gave him, Ben gave him $200 advance. So she's worried at first. She's like, this does not really feel right. But Joe really sells a lie. He says, you know, that this work is good. It was an advance, you know, against his paycheck, but like very slowly. So it's not going to, you know, make him go broke right off the bat. But he also is like, <laughs> you know, hey, you're about to pop at any moment. I'm going to go. So <laughs> I'm leaving right yeah. now. And I don't know when I'll be back. But later, good luck. <laughs> yeah, it's it was uh, 
I mean, he does kind of sell it pretty well, but it's also very weird and sketchy that he's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going out and yeah, you're about to deliver this baby really soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause we'll, definitely something fishy going on. We'll get into that for sure. But Joe heads to a bar and he goes to see his friend, Nick, that works there. He's the bartender. And he's like, Hey Nick, I'm, I'm leaving town. Hold on to this package for me. It's a nightgown for my wife. You know, nothing fancy, just a couple of bucks, but I'll be back to probably pick it up next week. Yeah, he doesn't want her to find it around the house. So he's like, yeah, sure, that's fine. I love you, Joe. Anything for you, buddy. So the cops, we see him now investigating Lucky's murder a little more. They're going through what they found a a quote unquote love diary, which lists a bunch of names, you know, and addresses and stuff, uh, including everyone that was involved with this blackmail that we saw earlier. Also, is it weird that I thought that'd be a really good band name, The Love Diary? It's, it sounds like a band that would be on like the emo diaries. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of diary, but it's a lot of diaries, but it works. You could cover Sunny Day Real Estate Diary in full. Yeah, all other uh, diaries. All of that. Yes, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> it just The Love Diary just sounds like an emo band from like '98 or something. I don't think anyone would be that uh, sexual. You don't think so? No. Well, I mean, that could, it doesn't necessarily have to be. I never found that genre to be that horny. It was more just like emotional and about like love and stuff. There's nothing sexy about love. Well, I mean, yeah, you just said it. I mean, it is the love diary. Yeah, but her love diary is people she's fucking. Eh, it's fine. It doesn't have to be that connotation. But anyway, I digress. I would prefer that connotation. Okay. Maybe that's the new wave right now is a horny emo. That that maybe that's the band you need to start. I will never start that band. <laughs> Why would I waste musical talent on emo? There you go. <laughs> I'll listen to it, but I want no part of it beyond that. Uh, Joe heads back home. <laughs> it's a hell of a digression. And he hears that Ellen did give birth. He totally missed it. Everyone, every wife loves that to be scared and alone during you know, such yeah. an important, pivotal time in one's life. And he rushes to the hospital where his very understanding wife and son are waiting for him. Ellen's like, hey, by the way, I want a house. <laughs> so yeah. hope that money's still coming in. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> then you also get one of the all-stars of the movie and another great performance from a woman. This super mean nurse who like introduces him to his son and then immediately is like, hey, get out of here. Yeah. Like she literally, quote, she says, That's all. Kiss your wife goodbye and get out. <laughs> She's all about business. I love it. So after that, Joe goes to the bar and he's like, all right, I got to get some house money. So he goes to Nick and it turns out Nick fucking retired. He's out of there. He's like, oh yeah, Nick's just, he didn't tell you. <laughs> Is it weird that this was the most unbelievable part of the movie that Nick just happens to retire like right after they do that and doesn't mention any of that. Like, oh, hey, by the way, I'll hold this for you, but I'm retiring. So someone else, you got to get it from somebody else. Like that never came up in conversation at all. Yeah, but Joe didn't think that was suspicious at all, but he'll find out why it is later on. Yes, that's true. Uh, it's like, oh, that's not good. He like, oh, he's like, oh, uh, there's a package. And someone else that works there is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know the package. Like, I found it. And you're like, okay, whew, here's the money. Now he replaced it with an actual nightgown. <laughs> yeah. This guy is good. So he's like, oh, fuck, this is not good whatsoever. And he's feeling super guilty because, I mean, also like, we didn't get into this, but the birth of his son, 
and everything going on beyond the guilt and the conscience he already had. Now he's like, I should give this money back. I want to be a good person and be a good dad. So I want to start this off right. Just to mention real quick. So he did put a nightgown in there originally. So the money was gone, but the nightgown was in there. Oh, he slipped it out. Okay. Yeah, I think because when he's packaging up, I'm pretty sure I remember him putting that like you see like cloth going in there. Like on top of it. Okay. Yeah. So I think he did that to hide it to make it look all like up on the up and up. But not so much. So yeah, he goes over to Beckett's place, his office, and he's trying to give the money back, even though he like doesn't have it. And Beckett's just like, uh, what money are you talking about? What filing cabinet? And Joe turns around and there is none. And he's super confused. And we all are like, what the hell is going on? There's no cabinet. These are the same people. I could swear it. And Beckett's like, look, even if there is money, I don't want it. So you say you have my money. I don't believe you. Get the fuck out of here. And Georgie comes in right after that. He's like, hey, who's that guy? And back, it's like, yeah, that guy, he has that money that we want about from the yeah. uh, blackmail. And he's like, yo, let's go get him. Like, let's let's take him down. And back, it's like, no, no, no. I want to confirm everything's safe because this feels really suspicious. Right. He's a lawyer. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, he plays it. Plays it careful. Close to the chest, Dan. So they follow him around and they eventually, when they feel it's okay to do so, they grab him and pull him into a, a cab. You meet uh, this cabbie who's a friend of Georgie's. And uh, you could say he's in cahoots with them overall. Maybe. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Well, but he also is like trying to be semi legit. I think he's just sure. making some money on the side. Right. New York is expensive, Dan, after all. That's true. You got to have some side hustles. I get it. Speaking of that beautiful violence we were talking of earlier, this is great. I mean, they are just pounded on him in this back of this cab. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> he's like, I'm trying to find Nick because the package doesn't have that money. I want, you know, your money. So like, I'm trying to find him and they're like, all right, whatever, you know, uh, you're just stalling basically. Exactly. But then like the cabbie's like, Hey, whoa, there's some trouble up here and stuff. So they like toss out Joe out of the cab. Well, no, he doesn't get tossed out. He, he, he does it himself. Oh, he jumps out. That's right. Yeah, he jumps out. Cause he, he, he's like, you know, he knows that these guys are dangerous and like the, you know, if he doesn't get this money quick, they're going to kill him. So, you know, or either way, he's probably going to die. So he's like, I'm just going to make a break for it. So when they see some trouble up ahead, he like opens the door and like flies out. And then another car is coming by and like kind of like almost runs him over. So everybody kind of stops and sees him. So they have to keep going because all these people are around. It's a commotion. Yeah, it was pretty wild that he just like, you see him jump out, physically jump and roll out of this car. Do what you got to do for survival. So... Joe goes back to the bar and is trying to find Nick. He meets the new guy he talked to earlier. His name is Gus. Mm. And he gives Joe Nick's address. And that other guy comes out who works at the bar and is like, wow, Nick sure is popular. Some big guy wanted to know his address, too. So you can see that. uh, Must be loaning out money. He's a little behind. uh, Joe is on finding Nick. And then you get Coffin Kid, Dan. Coffin Kid was delightful. Yep. (laughs) Talk about making a side hustle. Yeah. No, he's just like, oh, my dad is not here. So let me try to sell you some coffins. And Joe's like, I don't want coffins. I want to find your uncle Nick. And coffin kid's like, yeah, no problem. Pay me 50 cents. And so Joe does. And he's like, he totally narks on his uncle. He's like, yeah, he's hiding now. And he goes by the name Stevenson now. I have something for that. So I'll show you this because I think I mentioned this other. I found a half dollar randomly oh. in my pocket. So we could show you this. Well, this one's from 83. So what much, does it have much written after on it? Was movie. there something on that? 
So no. So it's just, you know, it's a 50 cent piece. And on the back, it has, you know, on the front, it's got JFK. And on the back, it has like the eagle. Looks like there's something dark on the front of it. Like a oh, right. there's like a smudge. There's like a smudge. Is that on what it. that is? Ah. Yeah, it's a, it's a smudge. But like you never, I, you never see them anymore. It was, I was just like amazed. I was like, I'm gonna hang on to this because I think it's just because we stopped losing teeth. That's true too. I, that's the only only way I'd ever get those. Yeah. Then we found out the bank is the real tooth fairy. Sorry to the children who listen to our show. Spoiler alert. <laughs> we would never lie to you. Nope. That's your parents' fault. So, yeah, Coffin Kid was also like, he runs off and again, he's like, oh, yeah, and someone else beat Joe to the punch and Coffin Kid sold him out. And now he's like able to go buy ice cream or candy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's get a Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Not too shabby, Coffin Kid. So Joe goes to look for him. He's under a different name, too. So he changed his name and he's in this like this back of this apartment house. Stevenson, yeah. Yeah. He gets there, but the... Georgie had already found him and he strangled him to death and got the money back. So they're all good. <laughs> right. You see him, you see him like the door open and then you just see his head, you know, like kind of like arched back on the couch that he was strangled, but he does find something interesting. So he finds the wrapper for one of the bundles of, of money. Mm-hmm. So he know that that tips him off that he has the money, but he also has a little piece of evidence too mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of that. You know, you try to trace it if, if needed. So that might come in later. The only problem is now Coffin Kid went to talk to the cops about this and is like, oh, this guy was looking for my uncle Nick. So now you got the cops looking after Joe for this one murder. And then they still are looking after the lawyer and Georgie for um, Lucky's murder. But he doesn't even know he's working the same case, basically. Yeah. So that's an interesting factor. But also uh, after this, Joe goes to Ellen. He's he breaks into the hospital. It's like nighttime and he like confesses to her and she's just like, oh, that's not good. You should probably turn yourself in. Yeah. And then he sneaks off once the mean nurse comes back. Yeah, he sneaks out. Uh, and eventually he, he calls Ellen at one point and the cops are tracing the call and, and God bless her. She's a wonderful wife. She loves her husband and she tells him to fucking run. Yeah, get loudly, Dan. Yeah, has your DVD still been working at this point? It has. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so we're getting there. So after this, Joe is just trying to figure out a way to clear himself and and you know just make everything okay for him and his wife. So what is he gonna do? You know, he's gotta he's gotta find this guy, this Georgie guy. So at this point, with that folder that he had, I believe that the uh, accordion folder he's able to find some more ad- like information on how to find these people and he sees a photograph of garcelle's girlfriend and so that takes him to a nightclub well actually a few nightclubs uh because he first he like gets some not bad information but information that didn't lead it from that guy that kid that works at the laundromat oh um, yeah laundromat kid and yeah and then he goes to a, a couple other places and finally arrives at the you know he sees like the um the little there's like a bill on like the um like a like a sidewalk bill for her the the woman in this photo uh so Sinton. And, yeah who Gene might Hagen. be one of my favorite characters of the movie After, um, she is my favorite character yeah. in the movie i mean other than maybe coffin kid but yeah no she's yeah. she's so good she's singing a dub song unfortunately everybody yeah. but that's just the name of the game with these things but it's awesome and then afterwards she's fucking hammered and just trying to enjoy a comped meal and they're like you need to pay for this 
No more eggs for you. Or is she? Well, I I think she is, but she isn't. I think I think she's you know probably has a tolerance that you know she is uh, yes not fully displaying but yes no us in the know we know wink wink but she seems like she's a bit tipsy and you know Joe's she, like she also seems into it she seems into Joe absolutely she's she's letting him you know ask these questions and she's giving answers and they seem to be working and he's buying her drinks and he lies about having known her too she's like hey remember me. <laughs> I knew you from the old neighborhood. Yeah, they went to school together or something. Like, I should have told you I had a crush on you, but here I am now. And she's like, yeah, sounds good. Let's yeah, go back to I'm my not... place. My love is like a red, red rose that's newly sprung in June. My love is like a melody that's sweetly played in tune. You like poetry, hun? That's Robert Burns, a red, red rose. George hated poetry. He hit me once when I recited Robert Burns. He hit me right in the eye. George was no good. George? My fiancé, ex-fiancé. George had no manners at all. George Garcell. You know Georgie? Sure. Long time. I, uh, I haven't seen him since he got out in parole. You're not a cop. Me? <laughs> Do I look like a cop? I didn't know you were Georgie's girl. Big hunk out of my life. Three and a half years next month. It's funny he never mentioned you. I'm not bragging about him either. Well, better not to have any hard feelings. How is he? Where does he live now? Why to keep it friendly. I even phoned him last week, his birthday. Dirty crumb hung up. What do we want to talk about that big girl? He used to be head man, but no more. Let's get out of here, just you and me. We'll go to my place. I'll fix my face and we'll leave. Yeah, I'm not not dating uh, Georgie anymore because... you know, he was awful to me. So, yeah, we're good. And then, Which, and then that I don't think was a lie. I can imagine Georgie's pretty awful. Yeah, but I think she loves him enough that she looks past oh, 100%. it. 100%. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I mean, I just believe it, but I'm saying, like, clearly this guy sucks. Right. So this is this brings us to, like, the part where she kind of, like, she's playing this part to a degree. I, I think there is, like, like you said, a level of truth that she is drinking a lot, but she does hold it together when she goes back because she, she sneaks away. She says, oh, I'm just going to go powder my nose or whatever. And then she goes to the payphone and tips off uh, and gets information about what to do with this guy because she knows <laughs> that there's something up with, with Joe. Because she sees him going through her wallet. Right. And so, so she, yeah. she kind of she kind of like snaps out of it like on a dime and instantly calls him. was like, hey, like I got this guy. Like, what are we doing with him? And so like, she, and she's like, oh, we'll go back. Let's go back to my place. In quotes, my place. <laughs> And it's totally a trap. The boys are waiting there for him and they knock Joe out. She asks Georgie if, you know, they're all right and they're going to be able to continue their relationship and be together forever. And he says, I love this line. You're going to be making my coffee from now on. Or is she? Um, Well, no, no more coffee. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, right after this, I mean, like we've seen in the past with women they work with, they can't have them talking. 
and the old strangle. The They're very good at strangling. That's their move. That's true. And this is the moment you've been waiting for. This is right when it when it hit me. So of course, oh, what a horrible uh, time! Exactly. Finally, exactly. This thing's cooking. I know, and that's why I was so upset because I was like, I was right at this part, and like he got knocked out. They had the little conversation. It started breaking up. I'm like, no. I was like, I know it's gonna only get good from here, even even better from here, and and it does. Um, Where'd you get this DVD from? Who was to blame? Uh, I got it used from Goodwill. Okay. Is there scratches on the disc? I mean, yes. Okay. Okay. So this yeah. isn't like a pressing problem. It's just no. a used copy problem. Yes. Yes. Okay. Which I honestly like anytime I've gotten used discs, like, I mean, I don't get them all, all that often with these, but sometimes I do. Um, this one's just out of print and very hard to find. So like, sure. yeah, I didn't have a lot of options, but uh, it had some scratches, but I felt like in the past, usually like modern Blu-ray players nowadays, like they can usually get through them. Like I very rarely have problems, but this one gave me a lot of problems. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, it just catches, it's deep enough, you know, in the right way. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you were able to continue on because here's where things get cooking. They mm -hmm. totally strangle Harriet to death in the back of the cab. And, you know, at this point, too, the cops are feeling pretty good about going after Georgie and back it. I like I like how in, this the scene where this happens and, and like he's like making out with her and he's like sort of he's like pretending to make out with her. And then the milkman kind of walks by in the background. And yeah, he's, he's like, like nice. and he goes up there. and He's like. <laughs> And he's like, look, he's like, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, there's just some kids making out or whatever. And necking then, uh, Dan is what they called it. Back necking, then. Yes. yes. And then he, it just progresses into him, like, getting closer and closer to her neck and then just strangling her uh, and her just falling to the floor of the taxi. The death taxi, I think we should call it. Because, death cab? <laughs> yeah, death cab for cutie. <laughs> I mean, in that scenario, absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately. They grab Joe bring him in the cab and then they're going to go dump her body and then kill Joe and dump his body too. They love disposing of bodies in the river. You know, just got to let those things wash away like your problems. Yeah. But yeah, the cops are on them and you get yourself a nice little car chase going on here. Love this sequence. Yeah. What a way to show this too. Like, I mean, kind of, I really feel bad that your DVD stopped like right at the best part of the movie. Cause it is literally like, as soon as he hits the nightclub from here on out, it's like, Oh, yeah, great. it's great. If the rest of the movie reached that quality, we'd be talking about it in a different light. So you understand my pain. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. No, it, I, it, I mean, I was just a shocked earlier when you said how deep into the movie you were before it happened. That is especially frustrating. I thought it like barely made it, you know, past the lion's roar at the MGM. But that's bad. No, it did pretty well up to that point. But I, I like what I like about this sequence is how it teeters between the aerial blimp shots and then the the, the, the actual car chases. And then it goes even close shot where you now you get like the sequence where you got the cop hanging out the window and then you got and then you got Georgie hanging hang out the window like right back to back like just like boom boom like they're kind of you know having that gunfight mm -hmm. um, and then you get the amazing car flip. Um, yeah well I was reading about like this movie actually had a, a pretty big budget and I imagine 90% yeah. of it is just this scene and the probably logistics of it. I also was reading that they had trouble with the flip and it took a while to get that. I Which I understand. That. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, you hope it's hard to flip a car. I mean, <laughs> and to get it <laughs> no right, stuntman. like to get it the way that you want it to line up. Yeah, how you up want to it. MGM yeah. standards, absolutely. You're in the big leagues. Absolutely, man's in the big leagues now. He he went from the the minor leagues to the major leagues with this. Yeah, one. and this was his last film noir too. I mean, after that, he was yeah off to the western. So yep, it's the uh, way to go out. He he at it. He went out on a high note. <laughs> 
the cab driver starts getting really nervous about this whole thing. He's like, you know, this is a legal cab. I don't do what you guys do. Like, I'm just trying to make some side bucks. What are we going to do? I, I, I'm not feeling good about this at all. And uh, he's like, all right, you can leave. Yeah, that's fine. He's like, I got a family. All right, yeah, sure, get out. Yeah, I understand. I'm a good guy. And then he Second shoots he gets him. Out. Second he gets out, he shoots him. Shoots him right in, in the, the back. And then yeah. he's like, hey, Joe, you could drive, right? Take on over. Yep. So Joe is a participant in the chase for a little bit before he's like, I got to end this thing. Just like when I jumped out of the cab. So he gives the steering wheel a nice yank and crashes. I believe maybe this is your flip, right? Yeah, this is the flip. Yep. It's the flip. And of course, the cops are going to shoot the bad guys. So George is down. Yeah, some great shots. And, and and this kind of brings me to, I think, one of the other things I really love about this 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 film is like how... I don't know if I would characterize it as like cinema verite, but like it's very like the mise en scene is very interesting. Like it's a lot of like close ups and a lot of like close ups, but they're like they're almost like Dutch angle kind of uh-huh. ones where it's like they're it's coming from below. Yeah. And they're real tight and just it's, it's just interesting in the way it's framed, particularly in this in this sequence where he's escaping and like he kind of like leans over like I guess it's like the subway, like a railing. Right. And, and, he, and like they trade gunfire and then he gets shot and kind of slumps over and then he falls down and you see him through the railing and then yeah, the cops kind of converge cool. on him. Like that whole sequence in particular, like kind of exemplifies like a lot of that type of stuff happens throughout the film. But that one in particular, I mean, he goes out with a bang with that whole sequence. It's just very artfully done. I hope that was a pun intended, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> he did go out with a bang. You can't deny it. That's true. So he's dead. All the bad guys are dead. Ellen arrives. Joe is super fucked up, but he is going to make it. And I want to live out of this. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you, you needed to pay with, you know, getting some bumps and bruises, but you don't need to die on this one. He tells the cops what happened and everything like that. And they're like, hey, that's all good. We'll figure this thing out. Get this guy to a hospital so he can be better. And they still love each other. He's going to be a father, a good father. And the end yeah i mean he's still gonna be like a postman i mean i don't see how he gets out of this mess yeah oh well (laughs) we're still alive so i guess that that, there's that well sure yeah your life and you know he's got his wife his kid yeah Yeah. maybe they pay better you don't get a raise or something goes full-time not part-time at the post office there you go i mean you gotta imagine there's some good benefits even back then yeah government job yeah Yeah. definitely Well, what'd you think of this bad boy, Dan? I I went in with very... I knew very little about this going in. Um, mm-hmm. And it was my first time. I really liked it a lot. And I think that kind of comes back to the frustration I had because it got so good and I was really enjoying it. And then to have it kind of, you know, the rug be proverbially pulled out from under me trying to watch the end of it. But uh, yeah, I, kind of like what I touched on throughout the recording here is that, yeah, I mean, the way it's shot is just really, really cool. The, the brutality in it is just really, really gritty. I think the one thing that I really didn't love was the, the beginning police procedural narration. And again, that, that, you know, par for the course, of a lot of these movies, but I can let that go. Like, like it wasn't it's, as, as prevalent through the bulk of the film. But that's almost the problem. It makes it like feel like so unnecessary. It's like, why, right. why did we even do this? Because it never comes up. You barely see the cops in this thing after this. But that's what people wanted back then, or that's what they, the studios believed that pe- people, there was this interest at the time, especially in the late 40s, early 50s, for the police procedural. So that's why you see this 
this type of narration particularly come into play with and throwing statistics at you. I mean, talking about like 47, 48, 49, 50, that, that was when that was coming big. Cause that kind of leads you into the whole dragnet thing. I mean, you, sure. you have, you know, some of the other films that we've, we've done in the past that have, have done that, like uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, you walk by night ones like that. That was something that I feel like audiences at the time were interested in. They, they wanted, I mean, even Anthony Mann does that and they have that in T man. They have a lot of that stuff in the beginning of that movie. It was just a, that was just a thing that they did back then. Um, I get it. It just, yeah, it, it just was unnecessary. They should have either yeah. went all in on it or just completely strayed away from it. I know there was some rewrites yeah. that happened, you know, later in the production, especially with the voiceover that was like mandated from MGM. So, I mean, I'm sure that's a big part of it, but yeah. I don't know. Just that beginning is such a, a slog that it really sets an unnecessary tone, you know? But once you get past that, it's it's smooth sailing, I think. It mostly is. I don't yeah. I didn't love this movie. I think everything that you specifically pointed out and complimented it on are the things I do love about it. Um mm-hmm. I think it's a better looking movie than it is a script. Yeah. I think it's really well directed and staged and the cinematography is great. But it's just the plot itself, it's uh it's just got nothing to it, you know. There's it doesn't have as much teeth as the actual violence does, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit of a standard uh, run of the millish kind of you know plot, but I think it is elevated by the brutality and by the the cinematography. So yeah, I think that's that's kind of where I come from with it. And yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I think it was a nice ride. Like I, I liked. Yeah, definitely. You know, I don't hate this it. movie. Right. And I didn't. I wasn't sad to be here, and it definitely like starts from the bottom and then rises very nicely but still overall i'd give it 6.5 out of 10 expected mothers okay i i really like the build of when joe is trying to track down the money at the end and 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 we realize and he realizes that he's one step behind georgie as he's going through these different places in the city trying to like piece all these things together i i do like that like in the moment where like he's just in the city he's sweating a lot and he's trying to Get the get this uh you know all kind of sewn up. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. You ready? Uh I'm ready to have some, some fun. Some fun facts. Okay. Let's do it. I got a good fair amount. So the film was a failure at the box office for MGM, uh, resulting in a loss of four hundred and sixty seven thousand, which estimated for, for today would be five point four five million in twenty twenty two, according to Studio Records. So quite quite the loss. As you mentioned, director Anthony Manns, it was his fi- considered his final film noir. He would then mostly go on to do a bunch of westerns. Eddie Muller uh, had some really good facts. I actually watched, they're on YouTube, a bunch of the uh, uh, intros he did for this film a couple of times they've shown it on Noir Alley. He said that uh, Farley Granger and Kathy O'Donnell first appeared together in They Live by Night, which is 1948. Uh, that was filmed at RKO Studios in 1947, but it was actually put on the shelf by new studio boss Howard Hughes. Former RKO production chief Dory Shari feared that the picture would never be released, so he paired the actors again in this film at his new studio, MGM, because he moved to MGM at this point. When he's learned about this, uh, he wanted to beat Shari to the punch, essentially, and uh, he released They Live by Night in the U.S. in November of 1949, so he just edged out by maybe like a month but before uh, this movie was released. And you know, actually, that movie bombed too. Uh, it resulted in a loss of about 445000 So just a little bit less of a, of a loss than Side Street. So you get two pairings of, of Farley Granger and Kathy O'Donnell coming out basically back to back 
And I think Eddie Muller mentions one time, like, you know, he like makes like a side comment, like talk about like a Merry Christmas when you got these two, you know, really kind of gritty downtrodden, you know, film noir coming out at the end of the year in 1949. Yeah. Um, especially if you enjoyed the duo of Granger and O'Donnell. Right. Exactly. Um, or maybe if people didn't, then they weren't really going to the movies. I mean, that uh, could be why both movies failed. Could be that. Yeah. As you kind of alluded to earlier, cinematographer Joseph Rotenberg operated the camera himself to actually get the aerial shots via an open hatch on a blimp above Manhattan. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, one thing I did, I did learn also that, you know, basically Anthony Mann got lured away because uh, he had been working with Eagle Lion a bunch. He did, like I mentioned, like he did Raw Deal, T-Men, a couple of them for some more, some more Poverty Row film studios. But he actually got lured away by Dora Shari to do this film with MGM. And I tried to get John Alton as well. But uh, ended up not getting John Alton. But he was like, I got this guy at MGM that we used, Joseph Rotenberg, and I think he'll be just fine. And yeah, I mean, you see it in, in the film. I mean, as much as I love John Alton, but Joseph Rotenberg is, yeah, does a, a fine job in this film. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting take, you know? Like, yeah. he, has, he has a very good eye for this kind of thing. For sure. Yeah, I, I think it, it it definitely it elevated elevates this movie. It, yeah. yeah. So I don't have a lot of contemporary reviews but i did i did find some some more recent ones when they screened it in early 2000s like 2006 2007 so when the film screened in new york city in 2006 as part of film forums festival devoted to b noir films of the 40s and 50s film critic ed gonzalez for slant magazine reviewed the film and found that he liked the pictures Ms. unseen and screenplay writing that side street is a triumph of visual savvy and moral exactitude a scurrying spectacle of dog cat and mouse Throughout the veiny streets of New York City, the Big Apple comes alive via a nervy mix of photojournalistic shots of people on the move and hieratic or formal compositions that give the squeeze to Farley Granger's Joe Norton. Or Joe Norton. Um, critic Nathan Gelgood uh, wrote in 2007, because it's an Anthony Mann movie, Side Street is similarly interested in detail, as well as great action sequences and even greater locations. The best stuff is inside a bar where Fairly Granger leaves a bundle of stolen money. The scenes in the bar are the ones that come immediately to mind when you think of Side Street. Because the details are spot on, and man constructs the place uh, with the depth of the Academy frame he's good at utilizing, which I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I mean, th those scenes are fine, but I mean, as we kind of touched on, I, I, don't, I don't see those as the highlights. I, I would disagree with that. Oh. And that, that's basically all I have. I mean, there's not a whole lot that I got from this. There wasn't a whole lot. Out These there. quick ones are always pretty sparse, it seems. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of this was shot on location in New York City, um, and you you see it, and I think that does add to the realism of it. It does give it that extra character, that extra vibe to it. Yeah. So I think that's you know, in and of itself is pretty cool. All right, well, Dan, if you like the violence in this movie, let's hope some of that carries over to next week because we're going to 1947 and checking in on a little bit of brute force. Oh yeah. Here, behind the grim walls and bristling battlements of Westgate Penitentiary, live the men of our story. You would call it a prison, but to those who know, it is one big human bomb ready to explode. Here are the conflicts and hates, the desires and dreams of men who chose to live by brute force and now are chained by it. Burt Lancaster, star of The Killers, ruthless ruler of the mob inside. Nothing's okay. It never was and it never will be. 
until we're out. You get that? Out. Hume Cronin, a rat in uniform. I'm the only one who can help you. Captain, I'm a cheap thief. I know I'm a failure. But I'm not an informer. Charles Bickford, trusted, but not too far. That's right, Captain. Like the book says, we always get what's coming to us. All of us. And the women on the outside. Yvonne DiCarlo. Promise me you won't come here again. If the police should find you. And Blythe. Every time you walk out that door, I'm afraid you're never coming back. Ella Rains. All my life, the one thing I really wanted was a fur coat. Anita Colby. Brute Force. The stark, savage, searing drama of killers behind bars fighting to get out to the women they can't be sure are waiting. forward to it my girls in this one Ooh. <laughs> briefly briefly not enough but you we'll, take we'll what get you into can it. get better than exactly. not being in it right oh 100 I, i'll i'll take i'll take any bit i can get hell yeah little dabble do ya uh well thank you for joining us guys please join us on monday because we're back baby we're doing the bonuses again for neo noir vember you excited dan i'm i can't contain myself i can tell I gotta say, the sniffles are gone by the end of this too. You sound great. Oh, I, I, I've kind of given up. I, I've been just, I've been just letting it, letting it go. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm saying I never, you, they were coming, and then now all of a sudden it feels like uh, you're doing good. I try. It's the pain let's, I go through for the for the listeners. Let's see how they're doing come Monday because we're gonna talk the Yakuza, Dan. Yes, Mitchum's back, baby, and he's in the 70s, 1970s. Yep. That sounds like a good time. Yes. I wonder Revival. what we have to say about it. Well, Neo Noir, I mean, that's that's the name of the game, isn't it? it? Certainly is. So we're coming back four times extra this month. So we're looking forward to that. Please check us out Monday. You guys want to know about any of these things, announcements, whatever. The real out of the podcast on Instagram, out of the cast on Twitter. Although I don't know how much longer we're going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely not getting blue checks. That's for sure. That's for goddamn sure. It's tough, Dan, because I mean, my personal account, I can't, I'm leaving it. I, I have no problem with that, but I feel like things are, I finally am enjoying Twitter for the first time in a long time because of our wonderful Twitter base. So come find us on Instagram. Come email us, the real out of the podcast, gmail.com. I don't know. We'll figure it out, but I can't yeah, imagine much longer an email. in this world. Yes. We love, we love emails. It's probably the best way to go because, you know, it's a little more personable. Yeah, you get and you get to express yourself and and maybe, you know, I don't know about if it's the same for you, but you get a little bit of anxiety about certain, you know, posting things that are, you know, for all to see. Not saying that there's anything bad, uh, what you're saying, but you know, it's you can get a little bit, you can talk more, you have more that you know opportunity. You could DM to, us, Dan. You could too, yeah. But I feel like it's more, yeah. You can you can say more. I think you have more latitude. I think. Tell us your secrets. Apparently, 
<laughs> yes, that's what we want. Tell we us about tell. that you liked that, that we did. Or tell, tell us about us. secret movies you like. Well, you don't need yeah. to email us about those. Those you can just comment if you would like. Sure. It's up to you. The world Whatever is your you oyster do. come November. Uh, also, like, subscribe, rate, review, uh, iTunes, or listen. Apple Podcasts. You don't have to listen. Just do all that other stuff. <laughs> we just want the numbers. We don't need your actual attention. Spotify. You want to do the Deezer joke? Nah, I've been right. I've been holding back the last few weeks. I've been trying to saving it for episode one hundred. Yeah. All right, I'm excited. All, all this all the stops are coming out on episode one hundred. You're gonna curse? I, that still is promised. I don't know. We'll see. It's gonna be some 1920s curse, I'm sure. Consarnit. <laughs> Tune in. We're uh, yeah. how many? Oh, uh, four episodes away. I can't believe it. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, technically, we've recorded 100 episodes, so... Yes, yes. We, we did it, but officially... Yeah, officially. It's coming. Thanks again for joining us, Noiros. Looking forward to Noir-vember, be it Neo or traditional. We're here all month. Come see us. But in the meantime, hey, used to crime, everybody. Used to crime. Ridding.